Let's ask God again to help us as we look into his word. Our Father, we do thank you that Jesus reigns over all the earth. And Lord, we thank you that we can sing our praises to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Lord, we truly thank you for answering the request of your Son by sending us a helper, your Holy Spirit. And we pray this morning that he would continue to teach us all things. We are here today, frankly, because we are in need of your help. We, we long to look into your glory. We, we hunger to, to see your purposes and to understand your will. But Father, at the same time, we admit that we sometimes struggle to see clearly. We're, we're beset by sin. We're, we're weighed down by burdens. We're, we're plagued sometimes by, by unbelief. And so we come this morning as people who need a word from the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now as we open your word, we realize that we have indeed in our desire for help, we have landed in the right place. Help us through your spirit to see clearly, open our eyes this morning to behold Christ as we peer into his words. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll open your Bibles to John chapter 14. John 14, we've been in this wonderful chapter for a number of weeks now, and we conclude it today, reading from John 14, verses 25 to the end of the chapter. Jesus is speaking, and he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'll come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Like I said, for the last number of weeks, we've been in this amazing chapter of the Gospel of John, a, a chapter where... Um, where we see these profoundly uh, conflicting emotions. And it's sometimes hard to feel the depth of what's going on here as far as the the emotional uh, energies that are being expended here because we're so far removed from it. But the scene here is Jesus and and his 11 disciples. Sometimes you think, well, Jesus had 12 disciples. Well, one of the disciples, Judas, had already left by this point. And, and they're alone in this room, Jesus and the 11 and what's amazing is, about this scene is, is that Jesus is, is just within hours, really, of, of dying. And in this deeply troubling time for, for Jesus, when he's a, about to, to bear the full cup of the Father's wrath against sins that are not his own, he takes the time to invest heavily in these distraught at this point and, and very confused disciples. Even though he's been telling them what's going to happen, they have no category in their minds for a Messiah who dies. 
just from a personal standpoint, they don't want Jesus to leave. They've been with him for three years. They've, they, they've essentially left their livelihoods to follow him. He's taught them. He's traveled with them. He's done these incredible miracles. And they just don't want this to end. This has been an eye-opening and, and life-transforming season of their lives. It was exciting. Uh, every day had something different. They were being led and taught by this amazing man, uh, a man who claimed to be both the Son of Man and the Son of God. And yet now this man is saying that I am going away. I'm about to leave. This is going to be over. You've likely had seasons of excitement like that in your lives, seasons that you've never wanted to end. You just wish everything could, could stay the same forever. You don't want anything to change. Maybe it was a vacation. Maybe it might have been a week at camp. It might have been a year of Bible school. It may have been a, a conference of some, some kind that you attended. Or, or maybe it was just even a season of friendship. It was just one of those seasons where, where you wish it could just keep on going and going. But do you remember what you were thinking when you started to realize that this too shall end? The season was coming to an end. It wasn't going to go on forever. That it was time to say goodbye to that season? I wonder if that's kind of what the disciples were, were feeling here. We've seen that throughout this chapter. Jesus is trying to prepare them for his going away, for this season to end. And he's trying to tell them that if they thought it was exciting now, just wait until he's away. Yes, the next few hours would be unspeakably awful and devastating. Jesus would suffer terribly and they would be witnesses of some of it. But that was all part of God's bigger plan for something more amazing, something equally unspeakable, to come out of it on the other side. Of course, first and foremost, Jesus was about to die for their sins. What would happen in the next few hours and then in three days was exactly what God had planned from before the foundation of the world, as it says in Ephesians 1. Namely, God would be glorified in both judgment against sin and in the salvation of sinners. This once and for all sacrifice for sin by the sinless Son. But secondarily, Jesus' death would also be a springboard that, that launched the spread of the gospel throughout the entire world. And unbeknownst to the disciples, to those 11 disciples gathered in that house in the streets of Jerusalem, in that top floor guest room, that launch of the spread of the gospel would actually start with them. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them here and what they're slow to understand, that once he goes away, it will be better than anything that they had experienced with him. And so Jesus is being wonderfully gracious here in these hours before his arrest and, and, and agonizing, suffering, and, and eventual death. Even though he knew full well what was about to happen to him, it did not in the least detract from his love for his own in their time of confusion and trouble. This is the kind of Savior that you have if you are in Christ. He is constant in His care for you and in His preparation of you for great and glorious things in the future. 
Now that highway to the, toward those great and glorious things is, is, is paved with all sorts of things. It's pl- paved with slippery sections, with, with potholes, with, with obstacles, with um, construction zones. But at the end is a destination that exceeds our greatest expectations. Just as he was for his disciples, Jesus is preparing not only that destination for you, but he is preparing you to deal with everything along the way. And so with all that as introduction, let's look closer at at Jesus' words just before they were about to leave that room. What, What was it that Jesus was holding out to his followers here in these last hours? What was he telling them about how what he would provide for them from heaven was going to be better than what he provided for them while they were together during these three years? Well, you can see right through that section that Jesus is reminding them again that he's going, as he has been throughout this chapter and actually right from chapter 12, even back to chapter 8, he's been saying this. And here, in verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 28, I am going away, and I will come to you. (laughs) Just let that line sink in. You can understand why they may have been confused. I am going away, and I will come to you. What? Or verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you. And so the time, the hour for his going away was here was just right around the corner. What would Jesus tell them? How would he comfort them? What would he want to leave with them? Well, first, he reminds them and, and, and assures them that help is on the way. And better than that, Jesus says the helper, the, the, the Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus has asked the Father, back in verse 16, to send another helper who will be with you forever. And here in verse 26, the helper will send him in my name. We saw last week that the Holy Spirit is not a a substitute or is not a replacement for Jesus. So so this is not an even swap, swap. One goes, another comes. This is addition. This is another helper of the same kind. He is being sent in Jesus' name as his messenger, as his emissary. This Holy Spirit is no one less than God himself being sent to the followers of Jesus. His followers would enjoy this wonderful presence, this blessed presence of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is an incredible provision an incredibleness that the disciples would only fully understand starting in a couple of months from then when Jesus would be exalted as he ascended after he resurrected, after he was resurrected as he ascended back into the presence of the Father 50 days later. But notice here the kind of help that was coming from the Holy Spirit. The second half of verse 26, he, and let's just stop there for a second because that's important, he the, the, the Holy Spirit is not some kind, of a, a, some kind of impersonal force, but a person. Don't ever call the Holy Spirit an it. Okay? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach you all things 
He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here we see one of the roles or, or one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. Remember, at this point, the disciples just aren't getting what Jesus is saying. But that doesn't mean that Jesus' words here are, are, are useless. It's not like they're in one ear and out the other and then totally forgotten. It's the Holy Spirit that will help those 11 remember exactly what Jesus teaches right here. You know how we know that? We know that because right here in this church, almost 2,000 years later on April 8th, 2018, we're reading these exact words of Jesus. How does that happen? Answer, the Holy Spirit. It's because of the unique role and function of the Holy Spirit that we have these words from Jesus to teach us and to guide us here 2,000 years later. So what happened between the day when Jesus said these words and, and today? What was the process? Well, long story short, after Jesus died and was raised and ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit helped the disciples remember exactly what Jesus said and what he meant by what he said. And those words so impacted these 11 Later, another one was added to replace Judas, these 12 disciples, that they were accused of turning the whole world upside down, later in Acts chapter 17. Once they understood Jesus' words, they started going around and proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere, everywhere they went, right around the whole Roman Empire. And as people started to believe those words, and as people started to become converted, it gave birth to the church. And as the church started growing and spreading, and as the disciples got older, it became necessary for them to write these words down so that they could spread even further. And those writings eventually became the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, including John 14. And as the disciples and, and, and their uh, close acquaintances started writing down the meaning of these words of Jesus, those became the letters of the New Testament, and the story of the spread and growth of the church was written down too. And that became the book of Acts. And so Jesus' words here in John 14 explain why here in 2018 we have a church. And why we have a Bible. These words are basically an explanation of the fact that the New Testament is inspired and put together and preserved by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for, for teaching and all kinds of other things. But in the context, the Scriptures that Paul would have been talking about there in 2 Timothy would have been the Old Testament. The New Testament equivalent of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is these words here in John 14, 26. The New Testament comes to us by God the Holy Spirit as he taught and, and, and brought to the disciples remembrance all that Jesus said to them. The Holy Spirit, sent by the Father and the Son, will help the disciples by teaching them all things and by bringing to their remembrance all that Jesus said to them. And those very words now help us because they are here in our Bibles to guide us and to lead us, to instruct us, to train us, to, to convict us, to correct us, and to save us, and then to help, it, help us make it to eternity. 
All of that is owing to the work of the Holy Spirit, who Jesus asked the Father to send to his disciples. So as he says in John 16, it is to their advantage that he go away. It's to their advantage, and it is to our eternal advantage that Jesus is with the Father. But then he also leaves them there a bequest, a a farewell gift. Look again at verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so Jesus wants to leave something with them before he goes and when he is gone. As he goes, he bequests them his peace. Okay, so here's my attempt at trying to keep up with the lingo of young people, and I probably be corrected on this, but when, when there's a group of young people around and, and, and one of them leaves, they might say something like, peace out. Am I close? Yeah. Well, that's what Jesus is doing here, kind of. He's not just saying goodbye. He's leaving them with something significant. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Why would he leave them with peace? Well, for one thing, I suppose we could say that he couldn't leave them any material possessions because he didn't have any. All he had was the clothes on his back, and before he was crucified, the Roman soldiers even took those, John 19 tells us, and divided them amongst themselves. But Jesus leaves his disciples something way more significant here than any earthly possession. He leaves them with his peace. This is... This is not only the kind of peace that's an absence of war or, or, or conflict. It's the kind of peace that comes out of a right relationship with God. The Old Testament constantly talked about this, this, this shalom, this, this peace that would come from the Messiah eventually. It looked ahead to, the, to what would come. And you might remember the beautiful blessing from the Old Testament book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Psalm 29, verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Or this one is familiar from the Christmas story, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, for, to, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Or the passage that Todd read from Isaiah 52, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. These were all looking forward to the reign of Jesus. Jesus would bring the peace of God, and he would bring peace with God. And this was Jesus' last bequest to his followers. And it's, you notice here, and I put it in the title there, it's an otherworldly peace. He says, not as the world gives do I give you. So, so, so what kind of peace does the world give? That's not the same as what Jesus gives here. Well, the, the world talks a lot about peace, doesn't it? It even longs for peace. We, we, we sometimes talk about trying to find peace of mind when we make a decision or, or, or when we have some sort of an inner conflict. And, and if we really want peace of mind, we make sure we have a good insurance policy. Or a good retirement plan. Or even from a global perspective, the kind of peace that the world seeks is always tenuous. It's always hanging by a thread. 
All it takes is one tyrant. All it takes is one hasty decision or, or, or one broken treaty and, and there's war. Peace is no more. But the peace that Jesus is thinking of is a transcendent, otherworldly kind of peace. It's not like Jesus is saying that the peace that he leaves means no more conflict or, or no more hardship or no more trouble for Christians. Over in chapter 16, he's going to say that when he's, he's gone, they'll actually have more trouble. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If we are in Christ, we will have a peace that's transcendent, even while the world gives us trouble. And so he says back in chapter 14, verse 27 here at the end, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here's how Paul says the same thing in Philippians 4, verse 7, after he talks about being anxious in nothing, but, but by prayer, giving all your requests to God, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus is leaving them and us with a transcendent kind of peace, a peace that's not dependent on circumstances, a kind of peace that the world does not have, a kind of supernatural peace that even surpasses our understanding. The kind of peace where we say, where did that come from? How could I possibly have peace in this situation? Well, the answer, when you have those kinds of questions, is that Jesus has left us with his peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding. So that's a personal kind of peace for believers, but we know that Jesus also gives peace with God. It's what Paul writes about in Romans 5.1 when he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. If you are not in Christ, you are actually an enemy of God. And in a place of perilous danger. You don't want to be in conflict with God. Well, here's how your status can be changed from from being an enemy to being a friend. Being an enemy to being an ally. It happens by repenting from your sins and by putting your faith in Jesus and in his death on the cross. And the promise is then that you can be reconciled to God, where once you were at enmity with God, now you can be reconciled with God, and then you can enjoy this peace with him. When Jesus died on the cross, he purchased peace with God through his blood. And it's through his blood that we can receive forgiveness of sins. We could say, as one commentary I read this week does, that Jesus purchased the priest, uh, sorry, Jesus purchased the peace treaty through his blood making it possible for the war between the sinner and God to end. This is the good news of the gospel. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that peace could only be attained by Jesus going away to the cross. A peace that was not there before has now been accomplished through his death and resurrection. Well, there are two more ways that Jesus comforts his troubled disciples here. There, there's the help that comes from the, in the person of the Holy Spirit. There's the peace that Jesus gives them. He also says that they can have joy. Or more precisely, they should be rejoicing because Jesus is going away. They should be rejoicing because Jesus is going away. Look again at verse 28. 
You heard me say, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Jesus is really saying that by being troubled at his words, they don't love him as they ought. And what's missing in their love, the, the, ingredients, the ingredient that's missing in their love is joy. Instead, they're troubled and they're afraid. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. He's saying, don't you see? My going away is going to turn out for your good. It means I'm going back to my Father. It means my work on earth will be completed. And I'm going back to where I came from and where I belong, having finished the work that the Father gave me to do. All of that should make you glad and joyful. Why? Because it makes, or it means your salvation from sin. Don't you see? Yes, Jesus would have to suffer first. But he expected them to rejoice just as he rejoiced because of what was coming. Do you remember those beautiful verses from Hebrews chapter 12? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who Endured from sinners such hostility against himself, it goes on, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The cure for their trouble was that Jesus would go to the cross, that Jesus would eventually go back to the Father. And Jesus holds out that joy for his followers there before the cross and for us here on this side of the cross. If you love me, you would have rejoiced. So Jesus ensures that we have a helper. He gives us his peace. He holds out joy. And finally, he wants us to believe. Those last three are peace, joy, and faith. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust him because he is triumphant over over sin and the devil. That's exactly what he would accomplish on the cross. And so Jesus encourages our faith. Look at verse 29. And now I have told you before it does take place. Why? so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer uh, talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. What's the connection between all those things that Jesus is saying here? Jesus is telling them all this now in order to strengthen their faith and to make it a rock-solid kind of faith. And here's how he does that. Everything that's about to happen in the next couple of hours, in the next day or so here, might look like, might look to them like the ruler of this world, the devil, is winning. Jesus is about to be arrested and he's about to be betrayed by Judas, of of whom it says back in chapter 13, verse 27, that Satan entered into him. So I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that the the prince of this world is, is coming. The ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about the fact that Judas is coming right away to betray him into the hands of the Romans and into the hands of the Jewish leaders. 
Jesus would then be arrested, and he would go through unspeakable agony and suffering, and then he'd eventually be crucified. And for all intents and purposes, it would look to everyone, including the disciples, that Jesus had failed. And that Satan, the ruler of this world, had won. But Jesus wants them to know, Jesus wants them to be assured that that's absolutely and unequivocally not true. It's actually the very opposite. He says, he has no claim on me. Satan has no claim on Jesus because Jesus has no sin. There's nothing in Jesus from which Satan can accuse him. He is without sin. Instead, what would take place there in Jerusalem was Jesus doing exactly what the Father had commanded him. I do as the Father has commanded me. Jesus kept God's commandments perfectly all the way through to his death. That's why he could be our Savior. He obeyed God as we are required to do. And then he paid the penalty for our disobedience, a penalty that we should have paid. Why would Jesus do all that? Answer, verse 31, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And so Jesus did all of this primarily and ultimately because because he loves the Father. It wasn't above all because he thought of us. It was above all so that the world would know that he loves the Father. It was secondarily so that we would believe that Jesus is in control of all things. We can have faith, we can trust that Jesus still reigns over sin and will finally be victorious in the future. Precisely Because even though there's evil in the world, even though we will have trouble and tribulation, God is sovereign over all things. The Father is still in control. Jesus will reign. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us to know that all these things are true and all of that together should serve to strengthen our faith. And all of this should also strengthen our witness, right? It's so the world may know that I love God the Father. I love how that ends. It says, so, the world, so that the world may know, and then Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Jesus has more things to say to them, but it might be that he'll say them as, as, as they start heading out toward the garden. So they might be getting up from the room here, they might be heading out, and what's in John 15 and 16 and 17, he might be saying to them as they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. But these final words can serve to be our marching orders. Now that we have the Holy Spirit to teach us, now that we have him to bring all these things into our remembrance, these disciples, after hearing all this, and after the death and the resurrection of the Son, and after he ascended back to the Father, and after the Holy Spirit came on them with power, these disciples would make sure that the world would know about Jesus. So I pray that we would also rise today, after I pray, and go from here with hearts that are neither troubled nor afraid, and let us boldly and courageously tell the people in our world how it is that Jesus loved the Father by loving us and by dying for us. Let's bow together in prayer.
Once again, our Father, we are, we are struck by the fact that Jesus comes to provide for us, and that Jesus leaves to provide for us. Not only did you plan our rescue from sin through the person of your Son, but he has, in his leaving, equipped us with everything we need for life and godliness. We pray that you would help us to to, to always acknowledge the presence of your Spirit, the one who teaches us, the one who reminds us of the words of Christ. We pray that we might receive the peace of Christ, the kind of peace that passes all understanding. We rejoice that your work is finished and that you are with the Father. Your joy is our joy. And thank you, Father, that, our, that the Son, while he is with you, continues to pray for us and to intercede for us. And finally, Father, we pray that you would increase our faith as we have seen again that the ruler of this world has no claim on you. May that truth give us the, the conviction and, and the courage to now rise and leave from here and proclaim Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. May the God of peace be with you all.